Hey everyone, it's time to come together at Anthology Together, July 12th through 15th, 2021 at the Gaylord Texan Resort and Convention Center. In person, yes, I said it, Elizabeth and I are excited to announce that this is the first time we will ever meet in person. The Edip Experience will be there recording. It's going to be exciting. You can register at anthologytogether.com and enter the promo code EDUPPROMO with only the D being lowercase. That's E-D-U-P-P-R-O-M-O with only the D lowercase for $75 off your registration. It's time to come together, ladies and gents. We'll see you at Anthology Together. Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Leiba, and producer Elvin Freitas bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. If you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want? All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT, the team at MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Well, welcome to today's EdUp Experience podcast. I am Dr. Stacy Gonzalez and have a special co-host guest today, Mike Yates. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. So excited. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be co-hosting with you. I'm, I'm happy to be co-hosting with you as well. I mean, we are, this is, is this, this is our first time we're, we're hosting together. It is, yes. So, you know, we're the, we're the, the fillers in, I guess we're the bench warmers for, for, <laughs> for Liz right. and Joe. I'm, I'm trying to do my uh, best at bat every time and hit that home run. So I'm, I'm feeling it today. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I, you know, being, being the backup to like awesome people is, is always good. Um, so, you know, if, if, if we're going to be the backup to someone, it might as well be Liz and Joe. So. I hear you with that. I, I, it, there's a little pressure though, right? So right. we're going to, oh, okay. We're going to do our best today. So our host today, and you heard me in our pre-show trying to make sure I don't mess this up. So we've got Dr. Ramon. Did I get that right? You got that right. Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> I was so nervous. Dr. Ramon Goings, he's the founder of Dunn Dissertation Coaching Program. He's also written a book, 14 Secrets to a Dunn Dissertation. Dr. Goings, thank you so much for being on the EdUp Experience with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
So we're, we start out easy here. Our first question for you, so a softball, like I said, we're going to hit home runs, but we're going to start right. with a softball. Start Tell soft. us, start it easy. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, that's always a, even though it's a softball, it's, it's the softball is pretty big because we have so many uh, dimensions to ourselves. So, uh, you know, thank you all for this opportunity to chat with you again, Dr. Ramon Goings. I guess my daytime job, you know, I'm an assistant professor in the language literacy and culture doctoral program at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. But as you mentioned, I'm also founder of the Dunn Dissertation Coaching Program. And aside from, you know, the academic side of who I am at heart, I'm a musician. I started my career as a music education teacher. And with that, I'm a teacher at heart. So I love to support students to see the transformation from student to scholar. And so that's why I am when I'm, you know, improving lives. That's the work that I want to do. And that's really who I am as a person. That's awesome. And there's something about music and statistics, Ooh. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I'm wondering if you can tell us how has that music background, and if you want to sing for us, I don't know, Mike, do you want to hear it? No, I, no I want to hear it. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know if you all want to hear it. You know, that might be. <laughs> Music's a general term, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit, how has music inspired you to get dissertations done? Yes. Yeah, so I think music, you know, my background is in music and in instrumental music education. And so uh, as a college major, I was a trumpet major because my goal in life coming out of high school is to be Quincy Jones. And so for those Ooh. who don't know who Quincy Jones uh -huh. is, producer of Michael Jackson Thriller. So in my particular age group, that's when I got introduced to Quincy Jones. I always asked, well, who's making that music in Thriller? Like, I want to know who's making those sounds back there. And someone said Quincy Jones. And if you know anything about him, he's a, he was a trumpet player to start. And so that's where I really focused my time. I wanted to be like Quincy Jones. And, and now I've learned every instrument just because I like to play. And But with that, you know, the music side actually coincides with writing uh, fairly well. Uh, because in music, oftentimes you're looking to create a picture, sometimes with something that doesn't exist yet. And you're looking to do the same thing with words. And so I've been able to take my creativity as a musician and apply it creatively to academic writing. And that's what I try to teach folks that I work with in my program and my students at the university. Mm. that's awesome that is awesome so we're we're taking we're, we're making a composition with a dissertation that's a new way of thinking mike maybe you'll want to write a dissertation now you think <laughs> uh, no <laughs> no i'm just kidding I, i'm thinking about it i'm thinking this is this is right up my alley because the other day i was thinking to myself like should i get into a phd program so like i you know Yes, this is a this is a, pers a personal interest to me. Nice. So, Dr. Goings, what do we say to, to somebody like Mike who's thinking about writing a dissertation, writing, I, I, getting into a program, a PhD program? Yeah, I definitely think we need more folks. I'm not sure what your particular interest is, but we need more folks in various spaces with PhDs who have the practitioner experiences to use the research in theory and put it into practice, as well as inform policy. So, I'm all for people who have had hands-on experiences doing things to then get the research background behind that to then leverage it to improve, you know, whether it's society, the organizations, or people that you care most about. Hey, Mike, are you ready? Well, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready, but I, I definitely am closer. That's, I mean, like, honestly, it's, it's like, it's, it's good to hear people who've been there you know, sort of like synthesize that experience. So like that does help. And, and that is a great point because, um, you know, writing a dissertation is, is hard, but if you have any background, you know, I, I obviously have my doctorate in, in uh, education, 
instructional technology, actually. And one of the things that motivated me to, to go into a program was I was in a master's class and the professor said, if you can take master's level coursework and be successful, which Mike, I think your master's is in curriculum and instruction, if I'm not wrong, because I, I listened to your TED talk the other it day, right? right? So if you can do a master's, if you can do master's level coursework, it really is to Dr. Going's point, it really is about this writing lift that it takes to be able to write a dissertation. The, probably if you could tell us a little bit about what you look for to help people write this mammoth of a body of work um, and encourage them through that process. What does that look like, Dr. Goings? Sure. So I have a different philosophy or approach to the dissertation, uh, which has been helping a lot of students. Oftentimes in doctoral programs, or when anyone says dissertation, they think about, oh, I have to write, you know, 100, 200 pages. They think about the product. However, I always say, and I say in 14 Secrets to a Done Dissertation, I talk about it's actually more important to have the right people in place and to understand the process. Because you can improve as a writer, but if you know you can, and you could be a great writer, but if you have the wrong people, those people on your committee, you got the wrong people in place, and you don't understand the dissertation process, you will never move through. And that's why you see a lot of people. It's like 50% of folks do not finish the dissertation, and, and a lot of times it's not about the writing. It's often about not having good relationships with committee members, as well as not understanding this dissertation process and trying to circumvent it, and then you experience that those barriers. Um, so yeah, that's my kind of approach and philosophy to the dissertation. Yeah, the, the people piece is underestimated. I, I think as a as a, a student who's gone through that, I remember people telling me, um, be careful who you pick to be your advisors and who your who your dissertation dissertation chair is. And uh, you really have to look at it, and at least I did, and I'm I'm wondering what you think about this, Dr. Goings, but you look at it as a, how do I manage these people? Because it really is about me. And it's, it's, you know, that old saying of what's the best kind of a dissertation, a done dissertation, not this ABD that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the biggest piece is it's some, definitely managing people, but I often say one mistake I see a lot of folks that end up working with me make is that they want to take control of the whole experience. And they don't realize that sometimes you have to relinquish control, particularly to committee members in certain instances. So there should be some things that you want to fight for as a student, but then there should be some things that you just say, all right, I'm going to do that just to what they say to give people what they want. Um, so you kind of have to really balance that. And I think those who are quicker at balancing it and coming to that realization will find out that the dissertation is as much about you as it is those three to five people that are essentially the gatekeepers of you getting your doctorate. Yeah, and, and I would say that everybody has a different experience. So what are some of those experiences that you've noticed or you've seen that have stuck out to you as, as, you, as you've been engaging in this work of helping people get done with their dissertation? I think one thing is that you have to have a foundational plan. And so I think a lot of folks go into the dissertation process without a plan. And so it's hard to backwards map. You can say this idea, like, I'm going to finish. I get this all the time. I say, how long does it take you to finish your dissertation? And I have some students say, oh, it's going to take you about six months. And I'm like, well, if you really plan it out, your, your time frame is unrealistic. And so when you come up with a plan starting out, it makes things so much easier. Because once you know, all right, I'm going to finish 18 months from now, I can start backwards mapping into when do I need things do? How fast do I need feedback from my committee? You can start putting those pieces in place. But without the plan, uh, you are, are severely at a disadvantage. So that's like the biggest piece to this whole process, I believe. Yeah, Mike, I, I'm wondering what you think about that. You know, he said a key word that 
perks up for my curriculum and instruction ears, backwards planning, black, yeah. backwards design, right? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm over here. I have sticky notes all over my desk now. Like I was like, I'm, I'm going to try to be organized and have one note per nugget, but there's too many right now. So I'm like taking <laughs> notes, right? But I think that's huge. Like, like I've never even thought about it that way, you, you know, you know, about the people approach. Um, but also like, yeah, backwards planning means a lot to me. Um, and as a professional, like when I got into education and really, really started uh, like, like doing the work that I thought was very valuable, the idea of backwards planning, or we actually at the last school that I worked at was a place called Alpha, we called it back casting because it was like, in my mind, I'm going to stand at the end of this process and I am going to think about every little aspect and every little piece that should fall in place to get me to the place where I'm currently standing. Um, and it was, you know, like, I'm, I'm such a believer in that. Like, I, I think it's so super important and it's the way that you, you achieve great outcomes. Yeah. So back casting. So where's the, where's the, what's the casting in that? And what does that look like? Um, I think it's a, it's a Mark Andreessen who is, uh, you know, he's, he's in the, the startup ecosystem. Um, it's, it's, it's an article that he wrote on Medium. Um, and the, the way this particular school that I, that I uh, helped to start worked is that like all of the learning was done using adaptive learning software. Um, and so we were, you know, there, there was no professional development because there was nobody doing what we were doing. So we like scoured Twitter and YouTube and looked in unlikely places. And like, we were all familiar with the idea of backwards planning, but we wanted something that that we could help students visualize. Um, and so I will dig for this article. It's on Medium somewhere, um, but Mark Andreessen wrote about it. And I think the casting, so the, the, instead of, the, I think the reason why he replaces uh, casting or planning with casting is because it, you're casting a vision, but you're doing it backwards, right? And so the, you know, the application for the dissertation is like, like you guys have both said like you are in charge like this is your dissertation and the people you put around you really matters so i think the, the way that you have applied back casting is that like in your mind like as you start to think and plan because it's really the same thing put yourself at the end of the process like what do you want your speech to sound like or what do you want your your, your paper to sound like and feel like and what do you want readers to take away and then you take each one of those aspects and you use them to plan a to, you know, to make separate parts of one big plan, right? So I think it's really saying the same thing, but casting is just more about visualization. Yeah, and seeing yourself at the end of that fishing pole, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and making yourself understand what that vision looks like. I, uh, <laughs> I remember my first class uh, before, you know, you have to take 60, usually there's 60 or 120 hours, depending on your program um, for, for your actual PhD work or, you know, um, postdoc, your, your doctoral work. But I remember going up to my professor and saying to her, um, I'm going to do a qualitative research study because I don't really like numbers and I don't really feel like I think I can do. And she's like, and she just looked at me, she's like, uh-huh. Okay. So I'm one, and I ended up doing a mixed methods and a total got into quantitative and SPSS. And so I'm wondering, Dr. Goings, how you work with students from the beginning to the end of that process to really see them through what that looks like and how that kind of, how it feels for them. Cause I know I had lots of misconceptions. Yeah. So the process I kind of take folks through is like, first, 
you know, think of, you know, begin with the end in mind. So what is it that you're actually interested in knowing after you complete this whole study? What is it that you really want to know? And so someone tells me what that is. And then I say, well, all right, what research question could we ask that would help us to get to this answer? And so I have them develop the question. And from the question, I say, well, what method would allow us to answer this question best? And then from there, they can start making that decision. Well, this study is more aligned with quantitative. Oh no, this study is more aligned with qualitative or mixed methods or some combination you know, um, of different types of analyses. And so sometimes it's like figuring out what do you wanna do first and then we can figure out the methodology. I think people oftentimes go into it with the methodology in place. A lot of times because I hear people just say, I don't like math, so I'm not doing mm -hmm. anything quantitative. Oh yeah, that was what I thought. Yeah, so what, you, what you said is so often the case. And I initially had that as well. But I just realized it's actually about the research question and that should drive everything. Yeah, I love the way you framed that, though, where you said the, the words you said, were, what are you interested in knowing? Right. And in so, so many arenas and aspects of education, whether it's higher ed or K-12, I think like that's the question that should be plastered on the wall in every school is what do you what are you interested in knowing? Right. And then you could build everything from there. That's really cool. Yeah, and you can take little walks down different different turnpikes there when you yeah. start to, right? You start to get interested in, in ideas, beget ideas and conversations open up. So um, I'm, I think that there's kind of this, um, and, and, you know, Dr. Goins, I'm sure you can speak to this. I, I happen to be really, really lucky that I had a super, super supportive chair and a super supportive committee that um, was, and when I say I managed them, I think it was because their time was so valuable. So I made sure that anytime I was going to ask them for something, I framed it, I set it up almost like how we started with a softball, right? Like here it is for you delivered. Now tell me what I need to do to adjust. And so as you've kind of worked with students, what approaches or, or what stories do you have around what you've seen and, and learned through this work? Yeah, I found that the folks who are the most successful have your approach. They have a plan and they execute that plan and they think through all of these logistics before they go to the committee members with anything. And so in our program, because I know that a lot of people don't have the plan in our program, uh, we actually lay it out. So we get folks templates like how do you even ask someone to serve on your committee? Uh, what's the right approach? Who should you have on your committee? We have a kind of decision making matrix to help you make those decisions about who should be on your committee based on the rules of your program. So it's a lot of these kind of unwritten rules have to be, you have to know them. And sometimes if you don't have a great committee, like you said, you won't get that information. So a lot of the work that I do with our clients is just really to unpack the hidden curriculum, if you will, in the dissertation process, because there's a lot that's not unspoken. But if you don't know, if you don't know the rules of engagement, you will get frustrated because there's no progress. Yeah, those rules of engagement, man, they're tough. They, they, if you don't, if you don't figure those out or have somebody who can help you with those, that'll trip you up every time. Yeah. Mike, what are you thinking over there? I, I I'm, I'm like seriously, I am taking all these notes. <laughs> like, like really, I think like this whole idea about rules of engagement is really interesting to me. Um, one, one of my. Uh, the things I like to talk about a lot is with something called the culture of power. And like in any situation, I would imagine like in a PhD program, there is, there are, you know, there are power, power dynamics um, at play because, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's students and there's professors. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, I would, I, 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 when I think about rules of engagement, I think of like dis distributing power and distributing knowledge. Um, and so I, I don't know, I, I'm just, 
I'm just sort of taking all these notes and reflecting uh, as, as I go, like also getting closer to making a decision, I feel like. <laughs> we, we've got you. We've got you in the pressure spot here. <laughs> we, wheels are spinning. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to be co-hosting, but it's a secret plan to get you to enroll in a PhD program and work with Dr. Goings. Yeah, on- come on over to UMBC. We'd love, love to have you. So yeah, I think I might be okay with that. I think I might. Yeah, tell us tell us a little bit um, more about how you actually became and built a, a a support a company around helping people with their dissertation. So it actually started when I was a student. So I did my doctorate at Morgan State University, a historically black college university in Baltimore, Maryland, and doing my doctoral program in urban educational leadership. I was going through the program fine, and um, you know during my dissertation process, what ended up happening? I started actually publishing while I was writing my dissertation. And a couple years or two, year or two before that, I started to really understand the writing process. And so a lot of my professors were asking me, hey, can you help these new students figure out the writing? And what I was doing, you know, I was editing folks' papers initially. And then what I found is that the editing turned into these sessions that students need to unpack what they were thinking. And so I started to figure out, well, there's actually more to this writing support than just editing someone's paper. Like they actually need someone to process this information with to understand why are they writing what they're writing and why am I writing in this particular order or using these particular words. And so I initially started out helping folks on the writing side of things. But as you can imagine, getting to the dissertation, there's no there's no support. There's no, you know, uh, besides your chair and committee members, you're kind of out there by yourself. Uh, so a lot of people felt lost. And I started to figure out, well, if I help people get through this. Um, with the writing, I can help them understand the process as well. And so that kind of birthed the Dunn dissertation, but it started as a student. Uh, I didn't have the name back then, but you know, I started building it out at that point in time because people just kept coming. As, as, as fast as I could finish editing and talking to someone about their work, I'd have five other people lined up. And so I said, are people willing to pay for this? Then this is you know, something I'd never considered and I've been doing it ever since. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your audience? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience responds to? Are you spending more time building reports than listening in on what your audience wants? These are not easy questions to answer. That's why our great friends at MDT Marketing are offering a free audit of your marketing efforts. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup and submit your information for your free consultation today. Look guys, you got nothing to lose. It's free. I don't know why you wouldn't want a free audit to tell you what you're doing, whether it's effective, and how you can make some incremental changes that can make a big difference moving forward. That's www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Wow, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah, writing is is difficult. It's it's laborious. It can feel taxing, especially when you are writing at length. Um, and, and the level of ideas and your own original ideas, which really, I don't think you, what is it, chapter five, where you get to actually say what you think yeah. in a dissertation. Um, what do you, what do you notice that aside from the writing students needing support with the writing, what are the other areas where, you know, really having a, a person to support through the process is instrumental? I think, uh, I think they need more support from colleagues who are actually in the same part of the process. And so like for me, initially my business, I started working one-to-one with individual clients. And I found there was a a great power when folks were together in community, like what we are doing right now. 
And so people can bounce ideas off each other. Like we have Mike getting ready to enroll in a PhD program probably mm-hmm. next year or something. I so, like that. I can't so wait. <laughs> so I, will. See. I know, right? <laughs> We're here for you, Mike. We got you. <laughs> I appreciate the support. <laughs> yeah. No, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And I think people needing that support with each other and building with each other at the same time is so helpful. Like I certainly would have gotten through my doctoral program if it wasn't for my colleague, Dr. Larry Walker. He's a professor now at University of Central Florida. And we initially started as students together from the first day, but we said, hey, we're going to, you know, go at this until we get out of this program. So we would send each other our papers and all that thing. We built a community. And I think you have to have a community uh, to, that with people that know the process. And then you also need a community with people who are not associated with the process. Because at times you, you become what I call in 14 Secrets, you uh, experience what's called dissertation intoxication when you're trying to get through the process. You become so consumed with it that you forget about everything else. So you need that person that's not in the process with you to kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, take a break. You know, come play with the family. Come out. Let's go outside. Let's do something else not related. Uh, So you need that balance with accountability partners who are in the process, but then those reality check folks who can kind of keep you uh, in line when you're getting out of control. So you're, you're building the team. So we're, we're, we're up to bat and we've got everybody, but then you've also got that team atmosphere that you're creating. So people are supported throughout the process at different levels is what it sounds like. Yeah. And I'm a, so my background too, I was a basketball player, uh, played at Lynchburg college, now university of Lynchburg. So I approach everything through a team aspect. So that is so important. You have to have your, I call it your done dissertation team. And, you know, you need committee members, you need, you know, you need folks to help you through the process that are students at the same pace, but you also need people outside that can help you. Yeah, without a team, it's, it's hard to accomplish anything. Uh, so I definitely recommend folks who are listening to definitely have a team approach to this process. Yeah, and I love that. I love that you're going to, that you're encouraging people straight off the bat. <laughs> Get it? Straight, bump, straight off the bat. Come on, you guys. You. Help me out here today. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> but it, it is, it is, it's the, that goes back to where, where we started with the, the people piece. So it might not necessarily be your committee or the, the advisors you're working with, but it might be the people you need around you. I, I remember I had a friend who had a little cabin when I was, I was almost, almost done with my dissertation. And, um, somebody had told me there is no saving trees when you're writing a dissertation, by the way. So I, you know, you, you've got to have that. I had to have that paper out and, and write stuff. And I went to her cabin with a huge stack and I read page by page out loud when I was nearing the end. And that process of sitting and actually speaking it out loud and somebody else who she's an educator, but she doesn't have that depth of knowledge that I had through this process. And just that willing participant for three hours to listen to me read every word of that dissertation was instrumental to me finishing and and actually having a really good product. That's so important. You got to have those people that can step in like that. I'm glad you had that. Yeah. So talk, talk to us a little bit more about um, some of the things that you've seen over the years. How long have you been doing this for? Oh, this is year six. Year six. six. Or seven, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, wow. It's been a while. Actually, I take that back. Eight years. I'm sorry. Eight years. So yeah. after eight years, I'm sure you've seen some some pretty funny things, some interesting things. Give us the, what's the highlights reel that sticks out to you of moments in this work. Uh, I've seen some situations, and I talk about this in the book, like preparing your family for the dissertation defense. So I've seen some instances where folks have had family members ask questions during the final defense, and it actually take the committee to a different place and actually disrupt what was happening in the oh. process because they actually asked a really good question. 
Oh, um, in a good way. So grandma it, didn't it was actually. Not, it was not in a good way necessarily uh, because it was a question that committee members didn't even consider themselves. And then it actually required the student to do more work at the end. And so had they not asked the question, that student probably got through pretty quickly. Uh, so that's definitely been one. Uh, another one I can even remember from my own personal defense was that I had a, a faculty member ask a particular question that could have been seen as argumentative. And so I had family members like turn around and look at the faculty member and kind of stare them down a little bit. And so, you know, as someone standing on the podium watching this happen, I'm like, oh, gosh, like, am I going to get out of here? Like, you know, so it definitely seen some uh, interesting things like that happen. Yeah, that's hard, man. Like, we don't want grandma asking a question that's going to give us more work when we're all, almost to the finish right. line. I'll ask you at the graduation party, right. like not right now. <laughs> yeah, not allowed. You are allowed to watch, but no questions. You can yep. ask me those at home, certainly. So mistakes, what are the, what are the mistakes that, common mistakes that you see um, as people start this, this dissertation process? It's a great question. I, yeah, I have that a, question too. <laughs> yeah, a common mistakes I see is not planning for the barriers ahead of time. So again, I'm always like staying one step ahead of the process. So you know barriers are going to happen for you and to think through what they are up front. So a lot of folks, I see the, the biggest mistake is not accounting for the time it's going to take to complete the dissertation. So uh, I work with a lot of school leaders, K-12 and higher education, uh, but particularly the K-12 school leaders who are running a school. It's tough to manage running a school and writing dissertation. But I've had some, I've taught a lot of my clients to be more proactive and then let's prepare for that. We know time is going to be an important factor for you. So let's figure out ways to clear out your calendar on certain days, certain hours that you can dedicate to writing the dissertation. Um, so that's one is around time and, and setting realistic expectations. The second mistake I often see uh, students make is to go into the dissertation thinking about I need to write a 100 to 200 page paper. When you think about it like that, it's so daunting that you don't even know where to begin. However, mm -hmm. I, I should coach folks to that. Think about these as, say, 30 to 40, three to five page papers. I think anybody can write three to five pages. It seems a little more manageable and you can start checking off boxes and, you know, really thinking about it in a more uh, smaller approach. Because you think about 100 pages, this is too daunting. And I've seen people just stop writing because of that. And then the last one, and I'll end it with this one, is that uh, I often see folks, the mistake I make is that folks are suffering from the cycle of procrastination and perfectionism. Uh, so what ends up happening typically as, you know, students who are in doctoral programs, we're high achievers. We've done pretty well in education. We want to, you know, earn this terminal degree. So we want things to be perfect. And I just need for you to be done. I don't need it perfect. And I think when we go into it, a perfect mindset, our work can never be perfect. So I always coach folks to like, your job is to get the roughest, sloppiest draft on paper that you can, because we, as quickly as possible, because we can edit anything on paper. And so I get folks, you know, have that perfectionism and they don't want to do any work. And then what happens, it leads to procrastination because you're like, I can't get it perfect. So if I can't get it perfect, I don't want to do it. And the next thing you know, three weeks go by, six months go by, and you have nothing to show for it. And I say, those are the main three I've seen so far. Yeah, I like that. I, I, so I, 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 I take a lot of notes when I, when I host podcasts. So here's, and I like to do a little synthesis, you know, here's the good teaching in me, right? So here's what we got planning, thinking about, and we started there with the back casting. We've got a new terminology that we're going to, we're going to really use here. So really having a solid plan is, is one that you help people with. The second is what I heard you say about chunking, not looking at this, like a, a, a awful, this it's not a book. You wrote a book, but your dissertation doesn't have to be thought of as you could turn it into a book, but it isn't a book, right? It, you could look at it in small chunks. And number three, 
perfection, get, get rid of that perfection or that procrastination because it's not perfect. I'll, I'll throw in a little thing that as I was doing this process, um, I re, I would, I would block, I was working full time. I had family, two kids, um, a husband, right. A whole gamut, like you mentioned there. And I'd block out every Saturday and Sunday to sit in my office at work because I knew I wouldn't be distracted. And um, writer's block is a real thing, right? And so to get through that, I would take somebody else's dissertation because a lot of the, the research is you have to take somebody else's work to kind of figure out your methodology and whatever. And when I would be stuck, I would give myself a timer for like 15, 20 minutes and just literally copy verbatim somebody else's work to get in the feel and the flow of what it feels like to be a dissertation writer. I don't know if that was right or wrong or good or bad. It worked for me. So just, I think going through that, you, you learn some of those, those little things. So Mike, this is, these are tips we can give you. We're That's giving right. you now. Right. You know, what I'm thinking about now actually is, is I have a question for both of you actually, which is, is, is how do you successfully repurpose the work that you've done for your dissertation? Like the research that you've built along the way, like, do you maybe like, like turn it into social media content? Do you turn it into other publications? Like, how do you flip all that work that you've done? And, and honestly, the final product? No, that, that's a great question. And that's, so when I work with clients through the dissertation process, I have another piece where I help people turn a dissertation into publications because that same question that you're talking about, Mike. Um, so what you can do a lot of times in your dissertation, you depending on what type of methodology you use, so I'll take qualitative, for example, because it's probably the, the easiest to explain a way to do it, is that like in qualitative research, a lot of times you end up having, you generated themes that may help you answer your research question. So let's say, for instance, you had five themes in your dissertation. Uh, each theme you can pull out and then create its own peer review journal article publication based on that one theme. And so that way you could turn your dissertation, which is one product into five separate products. Mm, that's uh, so that's one yeah, way. Yeah, that's a great it. idea. That's a great idea. Uh, what have you seen? What have you seen that people are are producing with that? That's that's amazing, right? What? How are you seeing people taking their dissertation and turning it into this other uses of content? Yeah, I mean, you could do it in so many different ways. It's just a matter of knowing who you, who's your audience and who you're speaking to. So if I'm writing for the academy, I may have a paper that approaches a topic in a certain way. So for instance, I write about black male adult learners in higher education. So if I'm writing for a peer reviewed journal article publication, I'll pitch it in a way that makes sense. And I'll talk about the literature and how my work is grounded in theory and then talk about in that way. But I can also turn it into an op-ed and talk about what should colleges do to support black male adult learners coming back to campus. And I'll write that in a very conversational tone and have very practical application of my research. I think a lot of times as in doctoral programs, they do a disservice to students because they don't teach them that side. Like, how do I translate my research into other areas? Uh, but that is so important to get your word out there beyond the academy. So I am here with two black male adult learners. What do I need to know? About adult learners? Yeah, about black male adult learners. Uh, so one is that oftentimes for, say, for colleges, right, they think about, they look at the data. If you look at the six-year graduation rate, Black males in undergraduate for a first year black male undergraduate uh, is 33% the graduation, uh, six year graduation rate. So oftentimes the conversation is like, why do these, why do these black men drop out? And I'm telling the colleges, well, your conversation needs a, how do I bring that 67% back? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what can we do? What programs, policies, and, and 
culture do we have on this campus that ensures that they succeed when they come back? And if we don't have that, we need to create it. And so that's how I push people in a different way uh, when they start thinking about that. Because oftentimes we look at black men through a deficit lens. And so I'm looking at more of the assets that we bring to campus. Yeah, like who do you need to hire, right? Like, you know, I, 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 I went on a rant about this online about how significant it was, but like when Deion Sanders takes over the Jackson State football team, I'm like, I was like, that matters a whole lot. You know, and I was like, I don't care about wins and losses. Uh, he is a black head coach who hired a bunch of black guys to be his, you know, his other coaching staff. So now you have black mentors on a, on a university campus who have been to the NFL and, and have done all sorts of all sorts of things, like been very, very successful. And they're coaching at a place where people don't typically go to the NFL. So Dion's going to have a chance to like literally and his coaching staff, they're going to have a chance to mentor a bunch of young black men through that university. Uh, and so it, it obviously it's not limited to your football coach. Like who is your, you know, vice president of rate and retention? Who is your, your Dean of students? You know, I went to a PWI um, and which stands for predominantly white Institute. And the people that I remember were these black faculty and staff, these black men, these black women who wrapped their arms around me. And like, that's why I made it through college. Like I can, I, I can name them, you know, <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I, to this day, I can't drive through San Marcos, Texas without stopping and saying hello, or they will, they will text me and get on me. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's about who you hire as well. Yeah. That's great. So black mentors on the football team, but it also sounds like black mentors on the dissertation team. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That can definitely, yeah, that's definitely helpful. I, I'm seeing process. this already here, Mike, I'm just, I'm telling you, you and Dr. Goings, we're going, we're <laughs> I <know>. going. <laughs> I know. I mean, but you know what? I, I what, early, early on in my teaching career, when, when I was in the classroom, um, I, I actually, for the first time I understood what people meant when they talked about aspiration, like aspirational learning. I had a student that was like, you know, I never even thought about going to college. And I was, I was like, well, why are you thinking about it now? And he says, well, you're a black dude. I'm a black dude. He's like, I never had a black male teacher and you've been to college. So mm-hmm. now I feel like I could do it. And so for me, it's, I, I kind of have that same, that same thing, even as an adult, I'm 30 years old and I'm like, I need to see who's been there, you know, from my community, like who's been there. So this is like very inspirational for me. Well, we need that as, and I say yeah. we, meaning we as other professionals in education, who don't have Absolutely. access to, to know. I'm just so thrilled to, to be on this podcast in this episode with the both of you feeling like I'm learning so much from you who have been through completely, you know, this, we call this the add up experience for a reason, completely different experiences than I've been privy to. I didn't know what PWI meant until you said that. And I'm glad you defined it. And I'm okay with saying that because if, if, if we're not here to ask the questions, if I wasn't here to ask the questions, there might not be list. There, there's other listeners who don't have access to that understanding. Right. That's right. Well, definitely. And so somebody has got to be brave enough to ask the, the questions that might not sound real smart. And I'm okay to do that today. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, talk, could you talk a little bit about, um, that culture you, you had said creating that culture and that, that society and this idea of looking at black men through a deficit lens and the work that you're doing and how do you help, how are you helping change what is perpetuated in, 
in, you know, our society and in the media, how, how are you, how is this work you're doing cha- helping to change that narrative? So there's a, a number of ways. It's so multifaceted. So I try at the core, I am a researcher. So I try to use my research to inform these areas. And so I've done it in a practitioner space and then in policy space. And so just for example, I'll give an example from the policy space. So this happened about two, three weeks ago. Uh, there is a bill in the state of Maryland around uh, diversifying the teacher workforce. And in particular, they wanted to have uh, House Bill 918. And it's for uh, the increase in providing financial incentives for uh, Black and Latino men to enter the teaching profession. And for me being a uh, expert on diversifying the teacher and school leader workforce, they brought me in to testify for the House Representatives Appropriation Committee. And so then being able to hear the research that I've done and how this is, you know, providing financial aid in, in the form of uh, student loan forgiveness is so important to increasing. So we have more Mike's and Ramones in the classroom. Uh, them hearing that experience can inform the policies that they create. But at the end of the day, I started from my grounding as a researcher. Uh, so I definitely think, you know, I use it in that way. And then on the practitioner side is to help colleges do audits of how are they supporting adult learners? Because oftentimes those students who are older in age uh, oftentimes don't get the same support that a traditional age student would get on a college campus. So I'm helping them look through like what's happening on this campus. Are there supports in place? For instance, are, is there a space for adult learners to congregate? Uh, is there are the class structures offered in a plate in a time where uh, students who have families and have full time jobs can meet, or do we bring the college to them at their employers? So like creating more university uh, employer partnerships, and so I get colleges to think through that and how to do that to support and increase their enrollment of black men. Wow, I, I I love this work that you're doing. I love that you've got both lenses of a researcher and a practitioner, and you just seem like a really nice guy, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, there's not enough space in the like. We, I I was I I could rant about this, but we don't re- recognize when people are just like cool people, like really nice people. Yeah, I that's a huge compliment. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, really, truly, like you just, I, I appreciate um, you being with us today and, and kind of sharing your passion and your love and the difference that you're making, um, not only for our, our listeners and our audience, but beyond that, um, our young people and being a role model that is, is changing this narrative and paradigm. And, and we need more brave leaders like you. So, so thank you for the work thank you're you. doing, truly. Yeah. Um, so Mike, you, you get to, you get to take us home. Yeah. Man. I, again, like, thank you, Ramon. Like what you're doing is the work that you're doing is amazing, right? Like you got me inspired. Um, like I, I, I just, I really just want to say thank you. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. So yeah. to, to wrap us up today, um, two questions for you, Dr. Goings. Yep before you go see i can't help myself it's so not funny <laughs> and it's terrible puns but you know anyway i have newspaper clipping of the high school student like all the sports reporters going goings gone like i've seen them all like i got i got them all at this point. <laughs> you know i'm new to the going game so here we go um so as we as we kind of to wrap it up here for for our, our listeners is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want to make sure this is your time this is this is your space to to hit home and then to close us, where do you think we're headed? What's the future of higher education going to look like? Mm, that's a great question. Um, so just some things I want folks to think about. If you are someone in the doctoral student experience and you don't have the support, 
like reach out to me because I think, you know, I think you need a community to get through this process. So you feel alone or not sure what to do, you know, and have done dissertation, we definitely can help you and guide you through the process. So I definitely want people to know that just don't go at this alone uh, because it becomes such an insurmountable task when you're trying to do it by yourself. Um, and then in terms of your second question around what does the future of higher ed look like? Honestly, I think it's going to be a lot more of, uh, as you see colleges doing this, but they're, they're tapping in that there are a lot of people taking online courses that are not associated with a degree program. A lot of times people are trying to take it to have skill sets in various areas. So like for me as a business owner, I take courses in business that help me master one aspect of my business, whether that's from lead generation or from creating my group coaching program or just so many other spaces. And so I think that's one area that higher ed is trying to shift and go towards. I think COVID in particular, uh, is pushing some institutions that way because otherwise they're not going to survive trying to keep people uh, in the building because who knows how long you know the, the ramifications of this will be. So I think everything's shifting to a digital space. I think the institutions that are faster to do it and faster to make it accessible to everyone will, will win. Hey everybody, we hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.